Good morning, everyone. Glad that we are all here able to worship our God prayerfully in spirit and in truth. I wanted to share before we get started um, just this past experience at the Max Security, uh, just by virtue of the fact that it's just on my heart to share this. For the last, I think, four quarters that we've been there, and our quarters are eight weeks long instead of 13 weeks long, uh, with the men that we've been going into um, at what's called, known as MCC with Max Security, one of the things that we've been striving to do is get more and more open with these men and allow them, even in a shorter period of time, to really open their hearts. As a result, a lot of these men are wanting to be baptized into Christ and they're wanting to give their lives to the Lord. And you never know. All we can t- take is the fruit of what we see from them. And sometimes there's a, what's known as a jailhouse conversion or jailhouse confession, and that, that happens. But by and large, these men, if you are able to speak with them for any length of period, you get to know them. They want to make changes in their lives. I share that with you because even though we, we give you updates from time to time, it's so super powerful to actually be engaged in the, in, in the lives of these men. Um, I know that after this coming Tuesday, we don't know how long it's going to be, if it's going to be a few weeks or a few months or maybe even a year, however long the city of Nashville needs to go through the transition with the, the renovated, not renovated, but brand new jail that they recreated uh, downtown Nashville before we are allowed to go back into that facility. And so I'm asking for your prayers, especially for these men, a number of whom have gang history, um, for them to really have their minds transformed. So I wanted to share that with you and ask you for your prayers on their behalf. Um, And interesting enough, we're, we're talking about this concept of trials and temptations, or as we have it in the title, tests and trials, because every one of us goes through that. Um... I put in the article in the bulletin to kind of get our minds going for the sermon this morning, and I gave you a very personal experience that I had growing up. Um, It's one that is still in some ways raw with me. Um, To just imagine, without going into detail, you can read the bulletin article, just imagine what it's like to have a sibling of yours, let alone to be a person who whose life is being turned upside down by the influence of another person. And so these are moments that that we can see that take place whether you are a child of God or not. And what I'm wanting to do is actually look at this concept, not just biblically to kind of steer us in this direction, but to look at how it affects us individually in this congregation and collectively as a congregation. And I hope that that by the time we get done, it causes us to reflect upon what what am I contributing by way of the trials that I'm faced with to the cause of Christ, as well as to my body, my family of believers here in Franklin. So that said, I want us to note that when we look at this pattern in Scripture, you know, I tell us always to go back to Genesis because we see fundamental truths and we can see it from so many different facets, right, different angles. And we'll see the very first trial um, whereupon not only is there a trial, there is a temptation. And we can go on from here to chapter 4, chapter 5, look at it all the way even into chapter 11, going on to chapter 12 in Genesis and see this pattern replay itself over and over. 
And it's all the way through in prominent points of Scripture in the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. And so, if you'll notice, the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, if you open up your, your Bibles to that text, we can see this very first trial that is faced with mankind. So let me read those passages to you real quickly and kind of get the sense of what's going on here. After God tells man in Genesis chapter 2 that I want you to tend and keep the garden and I want you to freely eat of every tree in the garden except for that one in the middle, that tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that one, right? And there's a lot that we've already discussed on that. So fast forward to Genesis chapter 3 and we pick up with this statement. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I want you to think about what was going on before this. Because here is this serpent who, for all we know, just comes in the middle of this um, scene where man has been living. And there has been no trial so far. There may have been a level of toil that is very minimal, right? Pick a fruit, eat it. There's, there's your work. Tend and keep the garden. That's about it. And all of a sudden, there's a new dynamic that enters into the life whereupon there's questions. And these questions that are coming from an exterior force, if you know, this, this serpent that's talking to now challenge what God has said. And so he asks, you know, well, did God really say that? And after Eve um, explains to him, here's what God said. Here's how the serpent responds. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what's interesting about this is that then they did not have this ability to discern good and evil in this capacity, this way. And what the serpent is saying is, in the day that you eat it, you're going to be just like God, knowing good and evil. You're able to discern this way. Well, the reality was, they would have been trusting in God and using his wisdom to guide their everyday walk. But this new dynamic comes along where they don't have to put their trust in God. Now, I know I'm reading into it, but that's because of the rest of the whole Bible story that brings this point out. And so, as a result, there's this internalization that's taking place after this trial has been set before her. And can you imagine? You've been brought into new information. You can be like God. The reality, brethren, is they already are like God. They're, they've already been made in his image. They've been already doing things that reflect his image, just as he had said from Genesis 1, verse 26, right, all the way through verse 30 and 31. And so what you have is this new dynamic that's coming into play and it's giving this woman a lot to think about. And as a result, temptation creeps into her. Notice the temptation as it delineates from this trial that she is now confronted with. 
When the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. There's, this is so jam-packed with a lot of theology in that one verse, right? But here she is. She's internalizing everything, and then she realizes after the serpent speaks to her, that fruit looks pretty good. I mean, I kind of want it. You know how you tell your children you can't have brownies before supper, and then you leave the kitchen, and what happens? Piece of brownie gone, right? Temptation sets in. There's a trial. As small as that trial is to us as adults, maybe big trial for us as adults, for some of us, we're told not to eat that brownie. Now we want that brownie more than ever before. We look at that tree before, it was no big deal. Now all of a sudden, all the temptation comes in. This is a trial. This is a test, if you will, of where our true allegiance, where our leanings are on self or on our creator. And so when she saw that it was desirable, when she saw that it was pleasing to the eyes, when she saw that it would be able to make her wise, at least wiser than she thought, she gives into the temptation and we see sin bearing its fruit. That's the picture of the idea of trials and temptations given here in the first few moments in what we call the book of Genesis. And the reality is every one of us, we're no different, right? We've gone through the same thing. We can either trust in God or trust in ourselves. I've heard it with my own ears. I've given the same excuses from time to time. I can't remember because I like to not think of my own sins. Um, but there are times when we just want to rely on ourselves. And we think, well, God, we know that your word is true. But in this case, in my situation, and we want, rely upon our wisdom, my wisdom, and then we do what we want to do, thinking that it's the best decision. And I'm not even talking about doing like real evil things. So this is not like a real evil thing in and of itself. You're eating a piece of fruit. You're not killing someone. And yet, think about how serious what I just said. You're leaning on your own decision, not on your maker. Remember, God made us in his image to reflect him, not be our own gods. We're image bearers of our God. And so this is the, the factor that goes in. Romans 7, over and over, we just had um, Mark read for us in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is on the heels of this back and forth, flesh and spirit, going, right? And God, I, I love you. I love your law. I know that, that it is good. But I end up doing the things that I hate doing. I hate sin, and yet I practice it. I love you, and I love your teachings, but I don't always do it. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Chapter 7, verse 24, right? And so this is the, the common core, if you will, of each human being on earth particularly for those who have a desire to walk with God. That's the trial and temptations that we are talking about. And what I'm wanting us to do is to see how we overcome this. And, and the answer is very simple th theory-wise. Right? Biblically speaking, we know the answer. Right? If you'll notice, a lot of times when there are trials, you'll say flee right? to the youth. Flee what? Youthful lusts. When Satan comes your way and he has these 
adversarial questions that question our allegiance to God, what are we told to do? Flee once again. I mean, multiple times we have that. So we have these tests and we have these trials that we're faced with, right? There are a number of times that I've shared with you over the last well, almost 10 years here, being able to, to share the trials that I had been faced with before being a Christian, even as at times a Christian. How do we overcome when we're faced with them? And so what I'm wanting to do is to note the attitude behind it. Because that's, that's the bottom line key, the heart that we have. That is going to be the key. When we ask God for wisdom, it stems from a humbled heart that says, I need your wisdom because mine doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut the mustard. So think about this. When we are faced in a variety of situations, what do we do? You know, in a sense, trials don't always have to be negative things. They can simply be a matter of, are we going to put our trust in ourselves or in our God? This morning was a new trial that our elders put before the congregation here, saying we have some men whose names that had, via the input of the congregation, had been brought to the, the eldership. And over the discussions of the last few months with these men and, and others, naturally, that they came to this point saying, here are the men we want to put before the congregation to, to finalize everything and say, are we having these men to serve as shepherds? This will test your own faith. How you view fellowship with certain brethren. Can you have them serving as shepherds? And so on and so forth. Those are all um, trials, if you will, or tests that we are faced with in a variety of ways. And so it doesn't always have to be some negative concept of a trial, although that's a very common way of us looking at it. But here's the thing when it comes to this attitude. James, when starting his letter that deals with this concept of having God's wisdom in our lives so we lean upon him and not ourselves, says this, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into a variety or various trials. Think about it. The attitude to say, I want to go through these trials because what it does for me is it refines me. It builds me up. It allows for me to grow, just as these men were talking about, saying, you know, over the years, I've grown. You don't grow without being stretched, without being tried, without being tested. And so oftentimes over the sermons over these years, I talk about getting out of your comfort zone and do those things that sometimes you don't want to do. It is uncomfortable to do. Talking to someone about Jesus, in my personal opinion, should never be uncomfortable but sometimes, depending on the culture and how we're brought up and raised up, we, like, I don't want to talk to them about the gospel because, and we fill in the blank, and all of a sudden it becomes this wall that we have created ourselves in sharing good news to the world. <coughs> the reality is, when we have those moments, they are trials. They're, they're a testing of our faith. As simple as that may be, and it may not be like a Hebrews 11 where your, your life is being risked for the cause of Christ. You got to start somewhere, right? You got to start at, if, at the very least baby steps and start with simple things. At some point, our, our faith gets tested literally to the core where is Jesus really the Christ? And am I willing to literally go to the grave with that conviction, right? So it grows. 
And if it's not from a standpoint of literally to death, it doesn't even have to be that. It could be a living sacrifice where I denounce self so that Christ can live in me. Right? I give up the, the passing pleasures of sin so that I can have the ultimate eternal fellowship with my creator. That's the kind of trials we're talking about. And he says, count it all joy when you fall into those trials because they produce this idea of maturing, this concept that is given in the word patience. And he says, let that patience have its perfect work so that you can grow and be whole, be complete, able to fully reflect the image of God. That's the whole point of trials. And so you have to have a good attitude if you're going to be able to do it. And it is with that good attitude then that you can have a passage like James chapter uh, 1, verse 5, that says, you know, if you don't have wisdom, ask. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in the kingdom that exemplify wisdom, God's wisdom, in the way they deal with life. And you see it. And some of us may even go, I wish I had that kind of wisdom that we see in brother or sister so-and-so. Well, guess what? If you have it, use it, right? God gave Solomon all the wisdom, but when his heart was not right, when his heart turned from God, he did not employ it, right? We see him being turned away after his wives' idols and their gods. Same thing with us. But if we have the right kind of attitude, we have the right kind of heart, then we can say of God, I don't have your wisdom that I need for this situation. So read with me further. In verse 5, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. In other words, you're asking with the expectation that you're going to receive it. That's the idea. Let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. But when you're convicted that you want to be serving the Lord, you want to please him, you want to exemplify and represent him, but you lack wisdom. How do I handle this situation? I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place, and I don't know what to do. <clears throat> Ask God without doubting. That's what we're told. So with attitude comes this divine wisdom that if you lack it, ask for it. When you ask for it, God liberally gives to those who ask in faith. So that's a simple answer, right? But simple answer aside, life is much more difficult. So the question is, you know, how do we go through life then when we're faced in a variety of ways? Because life simply just happens. It simply unfolds. And sometimes you're throwing curveballs. Think about it. Sometimes, you know, if, if I want to have um, a study with you. So I'm looking at. Kim and, and Carlotta and Miss Viola, I want to have a Bible study with them. Do you suppose that's a good thing? 
Miss Viola says yes. <laughs> and so we get to do it on Thursdays, right? So we have our Bible studies. But let's say this is just a Bible study with the three of them. And some of you in here are saying, how wonderful that, that Mitch is going to spend some time with some of, well, some of our sisters in Christ here. Right? And some of you might have a heart that says, wait a second. Is he playing favorites now? Did you see what just happened? Someone is asking the question, is he playing favorites? And he's already starting down the road where the serpent went. The person may be completely justified in their own mind. You know, Mitch has got to be fair. I mean, not just these three, but what about the rest of us kind of a thing? I'm using this as an example. Rather than being happy that I get to study with these three women, and we could use any other uh, illustration, some might have a heart that's not very happy. What do I do when I get feedback from brethren that says, Mitch, you play favorites, don't you? You just like Miss Carlotta and Miss Viola because they're in red and, and Kim because she sits on the same pew. Right? And then all of a sudden, we start having this little wedge that starts to form. Something that was supposed to be a good thing. All of a sudden, we go through a trial in this congregation because there is division, if not in actual divisiveness, in hearts toward each other, toward me, toward these women. Sometimes the women might be targets because Mitch is studying with them. These are things that we have to think about, brethren, because every single day, individually, we go through our own tests. And sometimes those tests bring about temptations on how I'm going to handle the situation. No different than, than what we see in the scriptures. Like, I'll just give you, if you ever want to do this study, do the study. Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, basically, even though life of Abraham goes up to chapter 25. Find out how many tests God gives Abraham. From Genesis chapter 12, when he says, get up out of your country, go away from your father's house, go into the land I'm going to show you. All the way to he says, take your only son and you sacrifice him. Find out how many tests God has given to him and, and did he meet all those tests. And you're going to see that what has been done for him individually affected a lot of what's going on in the future. And the same thing, look at the test that goes on since we're in the book of Acts right now in our Bible study in the auditorium class. Look at the test that the church is actually faced with, Acts chapter 5. And how does the church handle its test? What kind of temptations are there? Who's being tempted? How are they being tempted? How are they handling it individually? How does it affect the collective body? And the same thing is true for us. Individuals that make up the body of Christ in this congregation, we affect each other by what we say on Facebook, what we say when we call each other on the phone or talk to each other or talk about one another. All of a sudden, what may be joyful harmony and unity in the body of Christ can turn into trials. Every year, this th these things happen to us. It happens to every congregation of, of the body of Christ. And so what we do individually, we also will do collectively in these moments. We pray. How beautiful that today we got to pray about the men who potentially could be serving as, as shepherds. Think about it. Because we want unity. 
We want harmony. These men who may be serving as, as shepherds here, they want your full cooperation, your full blessing that they may be appointed over the business of something that many just don't even want. I mean, just look at sometimes what it's like to be in a leadership position. It is not an enviable situation. Beautiful, by the way. <laughs> and so, how do we handle these moments? I want you to look at James chapter 4 because whether it's going to be individual or even collectively, I want you to see what takes place when we're faced with trials and how we handle them. And I want you to actually do a self-evaluation while reading this passage of Scripture in James 4. So James 3, you can definitely see, you know, where is your wisdom lying? If you have a heavenly wisdom, one that's depending upon God's wisdom, right? Chapter 3. Or if it's one that's full of the flesh. In the scriptures in James 3, it's called demonic. But in James chapter 4, he continues on then as this course of action. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Where do wars and fights come from? The heart. I want a good fight. I don't like my elders or I don't like my brother and sister in Christ. I look at Cindy now. So Cindy, I don't like Cindy. And so now I'm going to talk about Cindy. I'm going to talk about our elders. I'm going to talk about Ben's awful talk this morning. It's all about him and being macho and, and doing the trace and everything. You know. So we can do stuff like that. And it's awful that we do stuff like that. Where do wars and fights come from? They come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and yet you cannot obtain. You fight and war and yet you do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask or you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. Your heart's not right. You ask that you may spend it on your pleasures. Go back to Solomon. Adulterers and adulteresses, do, not, you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And what some brethren don't understand is by being friends of the world doesn't mean that you're like, hey, I love you, world. It's like you're doing the things of the world. You have a hatred like the world's hatred has. You have a love that's like the world's form of love. I love you. You love me. We're good. But if you ever say anything against me, I'll never have fellowship with you. Things like that. You love like the world. You hate like the world. You live like the world. And that's what he's saying. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain... The spirit who dwells in us jealously or yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you humble yourself and say, God, I want your wisdom and I want your love. And then the next person says, I want your wisdom and I want your love, God. 
and the next person does the same, and the next person does the same, and the, the totality of all these individual uh, members that make up the body of Christ collectively come together, what do you see? You see good fruit. You see harmony. You see peace, the very foundation of the gospel within the kingdom of Christ. That's how you individually make up this collective reputation called the church. And all we have to do is ask people in the community, what kind of reputation or what is your perception of the church? And if anyone has any kind of contact with you individually, it places a reputation upon us collectively. And sometimes those reputations can be right and sometimes those uh, things can be wrong. We can have rumors that are wrong. It happens. Every church goes through that. Ultimately, what's God's view? And if you humble yourself before him through his wisdom, even through our imperfections, we glorify him. We reflect him to the community. And that's the idea of how we handle, how we overcome trials and temptations, those tests that come our way. When we get to the other side of whatever the trial that we were in the midst of, what happens, right? It's true of a, a parent-child relationship. It's true of a, a spouse relationship. What happens on the other side? Do we become better for it through the difficult trials that we're faced with? What happens as a congregation? Same thing. And so I want you to think of these things because as we go on looking at how we can strengthen the body of Christ, this congregation, right? As we're going to be focusing a lot more on this aspect of us. We're good at going out. We're good at sharing the gospel now. We, a number of us, we, we share it with so many people how wonderful we, we share our lives with our community here in, in wonderful ways that, that I'll just be very frank about it. That in the past churches that I've worked with, we just weren't doing these things. It wasn't known um, in a very big, substantive way, right? And so how wonderful we're doing that. But what are we doing within the body to build it up? To truly, what am I adding to this body here? That what every joint supplies, Ephesians chapter 4, is to the maturing of this body. That's your challenge. Remember about two weeks ago, I asked you, to ask some out, someone out for lunch, ask someone for not necessarily that day, maybe the following week. And so last week we had the, the potluck. Well, today's your challenge. Some of you are like, well, I didn't hear the challenge. <laughs> Now's your challenge. <laughs> if, if this is your first time hearing the challenge, if not today, if you're willing to do it today, ask someone. Ask someone you've not met with, someone that you don't really know in this congregation, ask them out. If not today, sometime this week, spend a few minutes. Get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. That we can be like that, that picture in Acts chapter 2 where everyone goes from house to house eating with simplicity in their hearts and gladness. That when those moments of trials that come because we have a genuine affection and affinity for one another, that we draw closer to each other. And we want to be here. We want to worship with each other because there is that harmony. And so those, that's a challenge for you. Next week, I'll give you a different one. So keeping it simple right now. If you haven't done that, go for that challenge. As far as challenges, I want to challenge you if you're visiting with us or if you have not put on Christ, put that robe on, the body of Jesus Christ. It's where you're saying, 
I no longer live, live for myself. I want to live for you. I want to rely upon your wisdom. You're my savior, not me. And so if you believe Jesus to be the Christ, right, willing to confess him as such and to be buried with him in baptism so that you can rise to walk in newness of life, that's the idea of humbling yourself and saying, God, I want your wisdom now to direct my path. He will lovingly and abundantly give to you and bless you because that's his desire. But ask in faith that you may grow with him and have these moments where your faith can be tested, just like Abraham's, just like Adam and Eve's. We're going to talk about David or many others and see where that takes you in your walk with him. Because I guarantee you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your fellow students at school, they're going to see that change as God's spirit works mightily in your life. And I pray that he does so. Brethren, if you need our prayers, by all means, use this opportunity that we can pray with you, all right? Use it as together we send and sing the song. Yeah.